This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. Uh, maybe I should say a little bit more about myself. Why, why am I talking about climate change? Um, so I've worked at NASA Ames Research Center since 1987. Before that, I worked for the Ecosystem Center in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Um, and my very first job coming out of college at the Ecosystem Center was working on a piece of code that modeled the global carbon cycle uh, that was in the relatively early days of trying to understand where the carbon was going um, into the oceans, into the atmosphere, being emitted from fossil fuel pr production, um, where were the sources and sinks. Uh, so. That was in the early days of, um, of that study. I, I was very fortunate to, to uh, learn about some of the experts that were working with that in the early days. And here I am, um, more than 30 years later, um, working at NASA Ames with the NASA Earth Exchange. One of the things that we do is to support studies that are helping with the National Climate Assessment. Um, so I've basically been in the same business this, this whole time. <laughs> um, I'm not actually a climatologist or a meteorologist. My expertise is more in the remote sensing of the Earth's surface, especially vegetation, which is a critical component of the carbon cycle. Um, but I'm actually not going to talk about my scientific expertise tonight at all. Um, I'm going to talk about climate change and the Dharma. And so I gave, I've given a couple of talks on this topic. Um, when I last gave one about the topic here, it was probably in early 2015. So at that point, the global concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was about 399.4 parts per million, and today it is 406.7, so it continues to rise. Um, there hasn't been a, uh, any slowdown whatsoever. Um, and the consequences of the greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide and other gases that were, that were um, part of uh, influencing in the in the world include increasing temperatures, global warming, uh, more droughts and heat waves, longer growing seasons, uh, changes in precipitation patterns, more intense hurricanes, rising sea levels, acidifying oceans, melting glaciers, and less ice and snow at the poles and in many other regions. 
So the effects of these consequences are, of course, innumerable, <laughs> um, interacting and complex. Um, trying to tease apart and quantify causes and conditions is a large part of climate science. Um, in Buddhism, we all often talk about causes and conditions. Well, this is one um, big ball of causes and conditions <laughs> over the globe. Um, so over the next decades, the continued magnification inter and interaction of these consequences will inevitably cause much destruction of human life and that of other sentient beings. So a major difficulty that we have as human beings in coping with climate change is that, by definition, it is gradual on the scale of a human life. It's very rapid on the scale of geologic time, but certainly not something that we experience in our day-to-day -day lives or certainly not on the meditation cushion. So in that way, it reminds me um, of the process of aging. And uh, Jeff was talking about Robert's series on the Dhamma of aging. So we know we're each aging. There are various signs and symptoms that might strike us now and then, or maybe more often. But the process itself marches along silently and gradually. And we know where that process leads. It leads to death, of course. So I'd like to propose that in the same way that the Dharma includes aging as a heavenly messenger, human-caused climate change can also be regarded as a messenger, a messenger, a sign to wake up. So this talk is the fifth and penultimate evening in our series, Living Wisely in the World, Caring for Mind, Family, Society, and Planet. And so tonight I'd like to work with some of the Dharma teachings that we've heard um, earlier in the series with special reference to this big, possibly abstract subject of climate change. So just to review, um, I know not all of you have been here for all of the, the evenings, but we've, we've heard Robert Kusick talking about the very foundation of practice um, ethics. Uh, we heard Nikki talking about tending to our minds and hearts and caring for others. We heard Lisa Dale Miller talking about emptiness or shunyata. And then last week, um, Tony um, talked about liberation, even as the culture wars are happening around us. So I'll start um, back with the foundation. The, the ethical part of the Dharma consists first um, of the five precepts as Robert reviewed for us, um, among other things, but certainly those five basic precepts. And the first precept is, uh, can be translated as, I undertake the training to refrain from destroying living creatures. And the second precept is, I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. So I thought 
we would start with those two precepts and have a little um, sharing exercise where I'd like, I'd like you to consider whether either of these ethical trainings have any bearing on your relationship to global warming, the concept, the phenomenon, the process. Um, this is an entirely optional exercise, but it can be, uh, can be quite fruitful if you um, would like to take the opportunity to form into little groups of three. Um, and I'm not going to suggest that you talk only with people you don't know, but <laughs> go ahead and break up into groups of three and um, I'll, I'll ring the bell at the end of um, three minutes for each person. So I'll, I'll ring it every three minutes so that each of the three of you have a chance to consider whether you think um, that those two precepts I, I uh, reviewed have any bearing on your relationship to global warming. And I'll just, I'll just say it as you're forming into groups. I'll just say, I undertake the training to refrain from destroying living creatures. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. Well, thank you, everyone, for being willing to participate in that. I'm going to move on to um, to the second um, talk that we heard by Nikki Mergafori, um, and she ta- she gave us um, the Sutta of the Acrobats, um, and some of you may have heard the Sutta of the Acrobats before. You may have heard Nikki um, read that Sutta. And the, the, the conclusions of that sutta are the establishing of mindfulness is to be practiced with the thought, I'll watch after myself. The establishing of mindfulness is to be practiced with the thought, I'll watch after others. When watching after yourself, you watch after others. When watching after others, you watch after yourself. And that actually just ties in quite well with what Anne just said about self and other, being aware of others. So how does one look after others? By looking after oneself. And the answer the Buddha gave was by practicing mindfulness, by developing it, and by doing it a lot, is one translation. And how does one look after oneself? By looking after others by patience, by non-harming, bringing in the precepts again, by loving kindness, by caring for others. Thus, looking after oneself, one looks after others, and looking after others, one looks after oneself. So I thought of the question, and I think that um, possibly this issue motivates interest in this topic in a forum like this, how do we take care of ourselves and therefore others 
with respect to coping with or coming to terms with climate change. So um, in this summer's issue of Tricycle Magazine, which is a Buddhist magazine, um, there's an interview with Paul Hawken about his new book, which is called Drawdown. And the title of the article is 100 Best Climate Solutions and Why They Are Going to Work. And the interviewer uh, of Paul in the, in the magazine said, reading Drawdown made me more optimistic about the future than just about anything else I've read about global warming. Do you think it's more effective to give people a vision of hope rather than to simply warn against impending doom? And I thought Paul's answer was interesting. He said, well, there's a lot to unpack in that question. The science about, around climate has been about future threat, which entails a component of fear. If you look at the news headlines, they tend to overdo the fear, even though it's based on good science. The scientists themselves are a little bit more circumspect. Sometimes I'm circumspect, sometimes I'm not. Um, but not the press. So the information about climate change that most people get is centered on fear, threat, doom, and gloom. The implication of the news is that you're causing global warming. It's your car, your house, the way you eat, the way you travel, and what you buy. So people feel guilt or shame inside. They may not even acknowledge it, but it's often there. When you mix fear and doom with guilt and shame, you get apathy. That's Psych 101. So part of awakening and part of our practice here is to be aware of what is arising in our minds, our reactivity. And this is part of taking care of ourselves and taking care of others, mindful of, of our own mind states. Um, so you might consider being mindful about what is arising for you when you hear about climate change or global warming news. Um, I'm going to just list some possibilities that might arise in your mind. Um, fearful, uh, fear, shame, hope, anger. Um, rationalizing. Distancing, denying, turning away, feeling alarmed, feeling concerned, feeling cautious, being disengaged, feeling doubtful, being dismissive. So these last six... Um, mind states, if you will, are, are the terms that a, uh, an academic group has used to characterize how United States citizens feel, or uh, I should say uh, people who live in the U.S. feel about, um, about climate change. Um, they call it the six Americas, the alarmed America, the dismissive America. And I was, I was interested to note that they kind of linked the people who are alarmed are the people who are personally active in reducing, trying to reduce their carbon footprints 
and they are politically active in trying to address the problem from a policy or political perspective. Um, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, people who are dismissive are actively working against uh, those things. And then people who are concerned, they say, are maybe people who try to reduce their own carbon footprint but haven't quite um, gotten to the level of working in politics. Um, and I, 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 I had to have to say, kind of judged that as maybe a little misguided because... I think you can feel alarmed and not act personally or politically. Um, I think you can be, you can feel um, what Paul Hawken was saying, uh, fear and shame and end up with apathy or uh, being um, kind of frozen, not being able to act at all in any way or being confused. So I know my mind use some, uses some of these strategies, and I, I know some of these things arise in my mind um, at different times of the day and night, <laughs> different times of the month, different times of the season. I notice that my mind can feel particularly reactive during a heat wave, and it can feel somewhat um, disengaged during a cold winter day, um, so uh, these, these are things that it would be perhaps useful to be mindful of for yourself in, um, in working with this very big planetary issue of how is your mind, um, what's arising in your mind over time. And, and I don't know if you can reflect a little bit on our exercise that we just did um, what arose in your mind as you were talking to your fellow Sangha members about the topic. So, as for emptiness, um, I remember Lisa teaching us that climate change is empty, that the organism that is our planet is responding to interdependent causes and conditions, and therefore there is no essential nature to cling to. And I have to say, I'm not, I don't feel qualified to talk about emptiness. I'll just be very honest about that. Um, Lisa referred to the Middle-Length Discourses, number 122, as a key sutta on emptiness, um, which is also translated as voidness. And I read the sutta, and I found this quote by the Buddha. I do not see even a single kind of form from the change and alteration of which there would not arise sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair in one who lusts for it and takes delight in it. So this is a very radical teaching. The planet that we live on is certainly a kind of form much more widely encompassing than our usual frames of reference. And it's definitely not exempt from the Buddhist statement. We may have a sense that the earth form is in extra special trouble right now with a rapidly changing atmosphere, climate, land surface, and ocean composition. Um, but I'm often impressed by lectures uh, by Alan Watts, who died... Uh, more than 50 years ago now. Um, 
Is it 50? No, maybe it's 40. He died over 40 years ago. He, he said, we operate under a false sense of personal identity that is at complete variance with the facts of nature. And as a result of having a false sense of identity, we act in a way that is inappropriate to our natural environment. And when that inappropriate way of action is magnified by a very powerful technology, we swiftly begin to see the results of a profound discord between man and nature. As it is well known, we are in the process of destroying our environment as a result of an attempt to conquer it and master it. And we have not realized, therefore, that our environment is not something other than ourselves. So I, I, was, very, I was very impressed at how um, up to the minute that quote was. And of course, he's um, recognizing our predicament and pointing to the Buddhist teachings on not-self, which is a, a form of emptiness. And finally, um, last week, we had Tony teaching us, um, and he quoted from the Sutta Nipata on disputes. And these ancient writings show us that disputes among people have always been with us, culture wars. Um, But climate change, though it has happened in the past, has never been with human beings at the speed of which it is occurring today. So one might construct the view that global warming is a consequence of clinging on a societal and political scale. And I also have to mention um, that our population, the human population, is, is larger than, of course, it's ever been in history. And that is one of the um, very fundamental aspects of how we're affecting the planet, just the size of our human population. And I, I, I actually learned a new, a new little snippet the other day, something called the Kaya Identity, which, um, which is an equation relating the amount of carbon going to, into the atmosphere with a, a product of several factors, including the carbon density of fuels that we use. But another factor in the equation is the size of the human population. And so, you know, sometimes I think, well, if, if our population was only a billion people, we could probably get along just fine. <laughs> But anyway, um, I'm suggesting tonight that just as we practice for liberation while the culture wars occur around us, we can practice for liberation even as global warming is happening. And I'm going to end with this quote. Um, So Pulitzer Prize winner uh, Gary Snyder, poet, some of you know him, was interviewed by Wes Nisker some years ago, and Wes asked him about the climate problems, global warming, rising rising oceans, loss of species, and did Gary have any advice for us? Don't feel guilty, he said. Guilt and anger and fear are part of the problem. If you want to save the world, save it because you love it. The problems of the world need your love. Love is the only power great enough to overcome greed and anger, violence and fear. 
This is the love that has mothers lift cars off their children. Martin Luther King Jr. called on the nation to embody the power of love. As you gain a greater sense of inner freedom, you become available to the world in a new way, not as a frustrated, frightened, or burned-out activist, but with an inner strength, the inner freedoms you discover, freedom to love, to create, to awaken, to forgive, to dream, to start over all, naturally give rise to a greater care for life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.